0: Welcome to this uh, episode of the uh, Culture and Inequality podcast. Uh, My name is Gideon Schaap. I'm an assistant professor in the sociology of music at Erasmus University, uh, Rotterdam. And today I'm talking to Dr. Joe Haynes, senior lecturer at Bristol University in the United Kingdom, and also the author of the book, Difference and the Residue of Race in Music, which was published in uh, 2013. Uh, Hey Joe, can you briefly introduce yourself and tell a bit more about what some of the questions or things you find most interesting to uh, study?
1: Hello there. Hi. Very pleased to be here. Thanks so much for asking me to participate in this. So yes, I am a sociologist at the University of Bristol. A cultural sociologist is how I describe myself. And one of the questions that I've been interested in is how music plays a role, a vital role, in fact, in reimagining and invoking the idea of race itself. So I'm interested in looking at how music provides the means for reinforcing a raced way of looking at the world, a race way of organising the social world and everything within it. So that's been one of the main driving questions of my research. So trying to get beyond Normative explanations for how relationships between culture, race and music work and looking more at um, getting beyond the way in which they're related and asking questions about the very idea and role of race itself through music.
0: Thank you. So uh, today we are talking about race uh, in popular music specifically. Uh, such a topic is often seen as rather trivial because something like music is to a lot of people uh, something that has to do with entertainment, with something that you do in your spare time, that is not particularly relevant if we think about questions of inequality or race-ethnicity. In such cases, people often tend to think about who gets invited to, uh, to job interviews, um, uh, where people start working, uh, where you live in neighborhoods, and these kind of questions. But often something like music or preferences for music are seen as trivial. But of course, we know from a lot of research that uh, music taste and cultural taste in general can be very crucial for identity formation, feelings of belonging, uh, 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 drawing boundaries between one group and another. So for this week, we are reading uh, three texts specifically on this topic, uh, which tie on the one hand, social divisions uh, that we find in society, to music production and consumption uh, on the other hand. So basically, what we see is that often people tend to say music can bring us together, music brings us together, but it uh, does tend to do so along lines in the society that we already uh, see. So, um, what I want to ask first, Joe, uh, why are you personally attracted to this topic?
1: Okay, I guess it all began when I was on the fringes of the local Bristol music scene. And by fringes, I mean very much on the outer edge there. And I had been involved in music, dance and circus for some time and knew a number of musicians and performers and local promoters and, and so on. And I was attending a Samba school drumming class on a weekly basis around the same time that I was embarking on postgraduate study. So my interest grew from that, I suppose, and I began to ask questions about the dynamics of a mostly white group of people, you know, who were based in the UK and thinking about the relationships that we had, they had to this music and felt that on the whole, these questions weren't really being critically explored enough, just at that personal level. Uh, And a critical point for me was when, a festival of the sea was being organised in Bristol to celebrate its seafaring history. And many local musicians were going to perform at it, including the Samba School. And I began to question the rather celebratory nature of this festival and and thus, you know, whether it was right for, you know, whether it was the right gig for us to be um, participating in because the festival itself wasn't actually critically addressing in any shape or form, Bristol's involvement in the transatlantic slave trade. And the response I got was basically, well, you know, that's just irrelevant. Um, That was the past and it has nothing to do with the present. So for me, this kind of captured the the complacency about these questions, and in Bristol in particular, in relation to its slave trade past and and links um, to the present and ongoing forms of racialized inequality and of course this year the world witnessed the toppling of the Edward Colston statue uh, who was a beneficiary of the trading in enslaved African people um, in Bristol. So it was, you know, satisfying for a lot of people to see that at last um, something had been done. People had to take matters into their own hands. So it stems really from those kinds of personal experiences I had with with music at that, at that time in my life.
0: Right, yeah. And uh, did the research... Come first, or did uh, personal practices come first like did were you at that time already working at university and, and studying similar topics or or was it something that actually fueled your uh, wish to to start doing research?
1: I had started a master 's program in sociology of ethnicity and race, so I guess on, in that sense, I already had an interest in the academic study of these issues. And then the personal experiences with music just sort of com- compounded it. Yeah. And and it became, you know, a more intense set of research questions that I put to use when I went on to do my doctorate following my master's study.
0: Yeah. So I suppose our, stories of getting into music research are fairly similar in that uh, regard, Uh, sort of already becoming familiar with looking at at music in a sociological or or, or social sciences way uh, while already having a strong interest in that field. So sort of having this perfect symbiosis of uh, learning of this research while seeing it in practice at the same time. So for this uh, session, we are reading or discussing three articles one of which is by uh, you, Joe Haynes. Uh, and this article is called uh, In the Blood, the Racializing Tones of Music Categorization and was published in the journal Cultural Sociology in 2010. Um, This focuses on uh, the categorization of world music and how this is uh, more often than not related with race. So uh, 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 we'll we'll go very much in depth about this specific article, but one of the key takeaways would be that often in world music categorization, we can observe a a rather straightforward relationship with race and ethnicity or nationality sometimes, and that this is also often uh, marketed as such. The other text that we're discussing is a, uh, what could be considered maybe a sort of foundational text in this field, uh, written by David Hesmethalch and Anna Miksaha, uh, which is entitled race, ethnicity, and cultural production, and was published in popular communication in 2013, uh, in this article, which is not an empirical article, but a theoretical article that's, that's, that can be read as a call to action uh, on including the topic of race, ethnicity, and more particularly racism and racialization uh, into research on cultural uh, production. So uh, what's important to notice here is that this is not only about music, but also about uh, film, uh, theater, uh, anything that can be considered a cultural product. But for, for this session, we're going to just exclusively focus on, uh, on music. And uh, this can be considered kind of more foundational article trying to lead researchers in the direction of doing uh, this kind of research. I am one of those researchers who um, paid heed to that call, you could say. Uh, So the third article that we're discussing is uh, one that I wrote together with my colleague uh, Pauke Bergers. This was published uh, last year, 2019, in the Journal of Consumption, Markets and Culture. Uh, And it's called uh, Maybe... It's Skin Color, uh, How Race, Ethnicity, and Gender Function in Consumers' Formation of Classification Styles of Cultural Content. And in that article, I focus specifically on rock music, a genre that is often seen as white and uh, rather masculine, and how different groups of listeners or fans uh, see or do do not see the relevance of race, ethnicity, and gender in the reception of, of that kind of music. Hesmit Held's article can be seen as the foundational text. The text by you, uh, Joe Haynes, can be seen as a, a, a production study because it focuses very much on the uh, uh, people who are involved in the, in the production and, and marketing and um, sort of uh, selling of a cultural product. And then my article is more about the reception, about uh, fans. But we're going to see how very often these uh, these things will relate. So we're going to start by discussing these texts one by one, uh, starting with the foundational text by uh, Hesmetal Seha. and then moving to Joe's text, and then onwards to mine. Uh, so my first question to you, Joe, is: uh, What did you find most surprising about these this week's uh, readings?
1: I guess one of the things that struck me was the fact that race continues to be this persistent lens or race ethnicity continues to be this persistent lens for interpreting and informing people's choices when it comes to music, whether that's implicitly or explicitly and, and the way in which it's very much you know, entangled uh, with this process of categorization and appreciation of music. So it seems hard to get beyond that way of thinking about music and categorizing it and judging it based on characteristics associated with racialized identities and histories and so on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, um, so for this, this first text, race, ethnicity and cultural production, um, the, the, the text starts right away with the idea that we should take uh, racism seriously in, in cultural production research. Uh, what many students may encounter when they get into this kind of research is that we discuss this in, in, in various ways. Uh, in your article, for instance, you discussed this more in terms of racialization. And, and in my article, it's much more about kind of an, an institutional uh, or implicit uh, kind of way of thinking about race without being aware of it. And in the article by Hesmet Halch and Seha, it's much more about racism. Could you say something about how we can understand the differences uh, between these uh ways of approaching it
1: well i think one of the aspects of um the Hesmondhalgh and Saha article that's important to note is of course that they're trying to attend to the structural problems with the cultural industries and that means a question about the underrepresentation of ethnic minorities within these industries. So not just popular music, as you've already pointed out. So that's one of the important issues that they, they wish to tackle and what kinds of processes are preventing there being a wider constituency of people involved in organizing and running these industries and making decisions about what content is going to be included and how the content is going to be represented. So I think that that kind of attention being paid to the structural dimensions is something that's really important. Whereas I think in our two articles, we're more interested in the sort of cultural and discursive aspects of producing meaning, racialized meaning through music. Mm -hmm. So that would be one important difference there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe about this idea of racialization, what, what does racialization mean when this, when this happens? Well, how does this work?
1: So I used. Um, this idea of racialization, because I think it 's important to capture this as a process, so the way in which people with different social and political positions are able to share the same kind of discursive framework for race, so it enables um, you know perceptions of national, cultural and phenotypical or, or biological sort of dimensions to um, be captured by and within this process of racialization. So it's a sociologically very useful term mm-hmm. to use when exploring yeah. people's attitudes, views, responses to music in a more of a conversational setting as well.
0: Yeah. And I think something that, that, that uh, runs as a line through these three articles is that it's often something that seems to be part of everyday categorization, Mm-hmm. Um, that that people are socialized into attributing a certain value to ethno-racial categorizations um, that are beyond just seeing a different skin color or a different kind of ethnicity. That it gets an additional weight attributed to it, and in in many regards, this can be uh, uh, attributed to how music sounds or how how one should behave or, or whether uh, someone is in the appropriate. Uh, genre or place
1: mm-hmm. and um, the style of performance, for example, as well yeah
0: yeah, and,
2: exactly. and some of
1: these some of these ideas can be very sort of subtle and also are uh, quite explicit, so it 's a way of capturing uh, all of these dimensions.
0: yeah, do you have an, an example maybe of, of an explicit tying of, of race and, in a, and a musical category, or
1: I recall one interviewee talking about, in response to a question about the music and the style of music, the response went directly to the the, the beautiful, flowing, colourful robes that people were wearing and how it was just all very exotic and romantic. And so it, it, you know, the question was meant to be sort of capturing what the music sounded like or how they would compare it to another kind of music. But it, instead, the response was embedded within a view about the visual, the colourful, the exotic, and this romanticised aspects that we know full well are associated with with world music. I've actually got a better example, I think, of um, the article in the Blood that was uh, that came from me attending a European jazz conference and all the musician migrant musicians that were there they all said well we play jazz but we're not allowed to be jazz musicians because they're actually categorized by the industry as world musicians even though they, they play they think they play jazz they're playing jazz but it can't be jazz and I think that's just a perfectly clear example yeah of this kind of categorization process so
0: right yeah so at that point it also becomes very clear how different categories are used interchangeably uh, without maybe people even being aware of them using these kind of racialized characteristics to understand whether they like something or not
1: yeah and i mean there's some other examples that were used um just very sort of anecdotal experiences that musicians would tell me about how one sticks in my mind in particular he describes being in a room about to rehearse and then referring to uh, some or was it a, at a festival? I can't quite remember mm-hmm. now. But th- this reference to as soon as someone that's of um, African or Caribbean descent, as soon as they come in to the room, you know, it, it there's this sort of element of cool that's associated with whatever they do and they have this kind of, they embody music basically. Uh, so it was, it was very explicit um, in relation to these kinds of dominant associations. So people from particular ethnic backgrounds being trapped in this way of, of how they're seen as inherently musical, whether they are or not.
0: Yeah, this is something I definitely want to return to in this conversation a, a bit later. We, this, this also made me think again of this example of, of uh, what happened last year with the, uh, the major hit Old Town Road. When uh, Lil Nas X and uh, the, the, the Atlanta hip hop uh, or tra- country trap musician, as he would like to be called, produced this song, Old Time Road, uh, and, and launched himself into the, uh, the Billboard country chart, uh, occupying position number one. And then he was removed from the Billboard country charts. Uh, and a lot of people indeed started saying that that may very well have to do with his skin color because he's a, uh, uh, an African-American rapper. Only when he added the country musician, the white country musician, Billy Ray Cyrus, to his song, and uh, uh, he was allowed back into the Billboard country charts, uh, which, of course, uh, verified to a lot of people that his skin color was seen as something that in some way uh, caused people to uh, not believe that he would be was able to make country music or that someone who is black and who is also rapping can be considered a country musician. Even though in the past there were uh, white country musicians who who uh, did some rapping in their music and uh, did stay in the in the country charts. so it seems to be a kind of similar mechanism where where people are removing someone in this case from a chart uh, based on the idea of what the music should sound like or look like, without realizing that this, this may have to do with uh, ethno racial categorizations
1: yeah and it it suggests that a very a very simplistic sort of shorthand is is being used to this day to organize musicians to organize music and you wonder whether it's based on a fear of losing profits or whether it's about some other kind of more um Disrupt development that they're afraid of, people you know protesting or or I don't know, it just seems very sort of uh you would think it would be outmoded by now <laughs> that
2: yeah way of yeah thinking. exactly, yeah, because
1: of all the all the disruptions and all the way in which people musicians um cross boundaries and perform in excellent ways in in music that are far, far from what would typically be associated with them as a genre. Yeah, uh, So that's, that's really disappointing to hear, to hear
0: that. Indeed, that it underlines the the uh, importance of having these kinds of, kind of conversations still today. Exactly. So seeing that you have such a uh, large amount of experience in researching this, this article by Hesmet Helge, uh and uh, Seah, they ask uh, for researchers particularly, but also people in cultural production to start to pay attention to race ethnicity more, to marginalized groups and such. How do you feel about this call? Did it make sense uh, because you wrote your article before they published this article you You have been doing this research for uh, i think already two decades then. Mm-hmm. uh in onto this specific topic so you were already doing this kind of work um how do you feel the, uh, about this call did it make sense uh and and has it been um uh listened to
1: well i think it's important because as i said before they focused on the structural elements suggesting that that's a really important important dimension that has to be paid attention to and not just the structural element but also the way in which the histories of histories of music histories of uh, people 's mobility, the way in which that has meant that we live in a very sort of entangled world, as it were, when it comes to um, music histories and the kinds of claims that people have around music identity claims that makes it um, complicated on that level so getting back to your question, I mm-hmm. guess it, this is a good this is a good blueprint, as it were, if you were starting a piece of research now and you wanted to look at the significant issue of race and ethnicity in cultural production, whether that's music or something else, then I think this is an excellent way to uh, be reminded of the various interconnected dimensions that have to be paid attention to. And I'm not saying that anybody doing research now should take this on board in a comprehensive way because you might just be interested in a small portion or just one of these industries, for example. Right. But it's, it just it does give researchers a good opportunity to ensure that they're, uh, they're aware of all of the interconnections of the political, the economic, the historical, and the discursive when it comes to setting up research and doing research on this important topic.
0: Yeah. And do you indeed feel that that there has been a, a rise in this kind of research uh, since since this time? Or is it still rather marginal even though it's as you just said about the example uh, from Lil Nas X uh, still very important to research this.
2: I
1: think there has been a great deal of research in this area but in, in pockets of this area I guess I only really know about popular music um, in, in great depth so for me there has been some very, very good research, you know thinking about some of dave brackett 's research on um, classification of music, some of the early uh, contributors to the um, International Association for the Study of Popular Music, very aware of the role of ethnicity and race in shaping our understandings of music so i think I think it 's there, but it 's in different sub disciplines within. Either uh, sociology, cultural studies, popular music, ethnomusicology, and so on, and it's I guess it's harder to get a sense of um, of all of this research in together because yeah. it's in disparate places. So
0: yeah, yeah, indeed. Maybe you then also point to the, the importance of of subgenres or musical genres and what kind of research is done. So maybe that's a nice stepping stone to uh, to dive into your work. Uh, mm-hmm. So your work is specifically uh, on, on, on world music. So my first question would be, can you explain a little bit about what world music is exactly? And, and has this changed over the last uh, 10 years?
1: Well, I think now people are questioning whether world music is a useful category. Yeah. But I think that people have always been asking that question. You know, is it a useful category? What work does it do? What is it doing? So it is, it is a complex term and it does have a number of meanings and a number of ramifications of those meanings
0: yeah because the the word the word world music to a lot of people would also s- state that it's a binary opposition between music from the world and music not from the world right so that's yeah. often the the connotation
2: well
1: and, and some people say that it's um you know because it's a short meant to be a shorthand for capturing diversity um of music from across the globe then that makes it potentially, you know, largely indefinable because it, it's trying to capture, it's trying to be so broad ranging, it's trying to capture various and diverse styles of music that it's, you know, it becomes almost meaningless as a yeah. term. But then then there are other probably more dominant meanings that um, would people would be more familiar with, I guess, in the way that it it's meant to capture this division between, you know, so-called non-Western, um, non-mainstream music and other um, angle, music that's produced mainly within the Anglo-American sort of circuit, if you like, and it tends to suggest that there's also that maps onto some kind of uh, more exotic, uh, you know, music that's described as ethnic music, and so it pre- reproduces this this division between an us and them, as it were. So that's the kind of uh, more of one of the problematic implications. Um, of world music as a term, and of course, it's also at the very—it's also a, a marketing term. So it's a commercial category to you know unify this music in order to sell it.
0: And and you actually researched part of the people responsible for for marketing this music in such a way uh, and and thinking about this. So so can you tell a little bit more about this? Like what 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 were your main findings when you started doing this uh, this research?
1: Well, what was interesting to me was that um, there was this, I guess I'd describe it as a critical distance or between the ways in which intellectually music was, or or abstractly music was thought to be something that was unstoppable, this sort of fluid culture that uh, crossed boundaries and, you know, people could play, perform, listen to, you know, whatever took their fancy, as it were. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there were also very sort of strong personal individual preferences for music that corresponded to some kind of notion of identity and what that music should be. So the, I found that to be quite interesting because that came up regardless of one's expertise and knowledge within world music. Yeah. There was always this kind of tension coming out uh, with with their views. So,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: to the extent that I guess for some of the professional people that I spoke to, because they were involved in the business of marketing the music, and they did have an awareness and understanding of more of the complexity and nuance of music, in some cases, they had to put that to one side in order to make the music, to simplify the music, I guess, for a, mm-hmm. for a consumer that didn't have access to to that information and knowledge. So you know, um, yeah, simplifying it in that in that categorical way. You know, music of uh, Egypt was the first country that sprang to mind. Music of China, as though you know, all of the sort of you know, variety of music produced in in a country as vast as China could be summed up as music as from China. You know that that yeah. those kinds of sim- simple identifications.
0: And and you just said because that's make that makes me think about what you just said about the the name of the genre world music that it's in essence also a, a meaningless uh, name. Is that something then uh, that allows racialization to occur much easier? Because the, 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 the name of the genre itself doesn't really cover the, all the potential contents. Do, is, is that a, a, a reason that, that racialization is so dominant in, in world music? Or, so, um, uh, or it seems to be such an easy thing to, to go back on in need of, of a way to explain what the music is about?
1: I guess because of the fact that the music is formed, produced and consumed transnationally. So it already draws on ideas of difference, nation, place, space within its uh, conceptualization. So in that sense, it becomes a mechanism for making one's way through the vast amount of music that is possible within that title. Mm -hmm. So you need, the, you know, people require those kinds of shorthand logics, I guess, yeah would be one way of approaching it. And this music, I mean, the idea of world music, it's, it's not new in one sense, because people have been moving around the world, music has been moving around the world, and it's been mixing and mingling with other kinds of music. So in that sense, there's a lot of history entangled within the music as well. And people use music in order to have a voice. People use music to make political claims. So in that sense, uh, there's always going to be some kind of ties to heritage, ties to history, which invariably sort of links to uh, different territories and you know the, uh, the way in which people are bound and tied together. So this invokes some very sort of strong emotions as well and can very easily Transform into a question about race,
0: right? And uh, this also makes me think of uh, you. You already said something about this earlier about that that some people in world music are just seen to have kind of these natural exotic abilities to make this music really well to be authentic in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also, I think, what the title of your article refers to: "In the Blood." That mm-hmm. that it's uh, assumed to be something that is that is indeed racially shared through through blood, the idea that that, that that kind of music affinity with this music is in some way sort of essentialized. How th- This seems to also uh, create a, a rather difficult balance because um, you also say in your research, and this is also something that I find, that people of marginalized groups also find an identity or a voice through this kind of music. So they may also... Uh, agree with this kind of ideas that it affirms their identity and that th- this is very much part of of who they are and, and that the, the the history that they that they have or that they feel that they're you know a, a, a product of. There seems to be somewhat of a double-edged sword, uh, a sword that cuts in, in both ways. So something that that uh, I also found uh, to to happen with gender, for instance, in uh, in many more masculine music scenes where femininity is often on the one hand. Uh, disagreed with because it's seen to be sort of at odds with many musical genres, particularly heavy ones like metal music or also rock music or, or like uh, gangster hip hop and these kind of genres. But on the other hand, because women uh, are seen to possess different abilities, they are also seen to uh, add new or innovative or creative things to the genre uh, that are seen to relate to their, to their gender identity. So this always kind of cuts uh, both ways. So Can you, you know, how how does this relate to to world music and to to your experiences and your your research in this uh, genre?
1: Well, I think that this idea of categorization around race is a really, it, it throws up a lot of questions. So for example, the idea of referring to music as black, for example, or black popular culture. And I'm reminded of an excellent piece by Stuart Hall. Uh, I think it's called What is this black in black popular culture? And he suggested that the double edged, you know, and that phrase, a double edged sword is really useful here, because he suggested that while it's important to recognize how the music is very significant for people's communities, for people's culture. It becomes a sort of lived reality, if you like. At the same time, by capturing and reproducing and describing music as black, suggests that you might find people get trapped into this kind of logic and essentialized through this framing of culture and music. As black, um, so he, he said, yeah, it's very much uh, a way of reinforcing and marginalizing, perhaps categorizing music in this particular way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so that is there's a danger of, in that, and I guess that that's the same kind of thing that I'm looking at in some respects in um, world music that although we, we we search for ways of trying to capture and describe." What we might like about music or what we prefer, the problem or the implication of these ways of, or our everyday vocabulary, if you like, is the fact that it does tend to reproduce potentially a narrow way of thinking about people and about the music or culture that they might prefer or might perform. So that that's actually one of the main conundrums if you like about doing this kind of research as well. Yeah. So and I I'm quite interested in that sort of seam if you like. That those
0: tensions yeah when i read it i obviously also had to think about what what i've been doing so, so in my article i i focus much more on how people attribute authenticity to to uh musicians based on you know what they look like basically so i have respondents make their own assessments of whether they think a certain musician is is considered rock or not. And uh, I focus specifically on race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, do you find in your research that, that it's also uh, often discussed in terms of authenticity or do people use other ways of talking about this?
1: No, I think authenticity is a really important discourse for thinking about the way in which people classify and value music and Simon Frith wrote a very good piece he he suggests that you know people are really hung up about whether or not this or that is authentic but what we should be more interested in is the way in which authenticity or or how it's trying to capture some kind of truth in music the way in which it's doing that and that's another interesting dimension to explore when it comes to looking at culture, looking at music.
0: Yeah, because authenticity is such a strong, it's an idea that's strong, that's tied very strongly to our uh, conceptualization of music. I mean, often when we look for new musicians, uh, most people strive to find someone who is original and musicians themselves, they try to be original. And the idea of originality can be related to doing something novel in terms of genre, but it's more often seen as being original as a person, as an artist, that somehow you're, you're, uh, you are an authentic person who has found him or herself uh, and, and um, manages to uh, uh, promote this this identity through... Music and that 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 happens in an authentic way or not. I often you know, discuss with students examples of of musicians who are seen to be inauthentic, such as uh, Lana Del Rey or or C6 Steve, artists who are seen to have kind of this. Fabricated uh, uh, I- identity that is that is to a lot of people uh, not believe that that they're, they that they have the right to make a certain kind of music because Lana Del Rey, uh, for instance, uh, is is kind of projects this image as a as a working class a white a musician from uh, uh, kind of fringe areas in the United States where she's uh, a rather highly educated middle class uh, has this highly educated middle class background from New York york i think um which is then seen seen to be at odds with her uh, right so within quotation marks her right to uh, to make this kind of music uh and but this seems to uh, relate very strongly to racial connotations as well that people project this on certain artists and then based on that assess whether people are in the the right genre or the wrong genre, again, within uh, quotation marks.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think more recently, questions about authenticity and cultural appropriation have become even sharper. And that could reflect the kind of context we, the specific context we happen to be in at the moment. But if anything, these kinds of issues haven't diminished over time. They've just become, you know, in my view, much stronger and perhaps that's because of the way in which social media amplifies these kinds of tensions and questions so people can you know vent their frustration and their um, disappointment when things don't you know music doesn't correspond or you know a film doesn't quite correspond to someone's expectations of who should or should not be playing that particular role right I mean you know there is a an important element of you know appropriate representation and participation in all the industries of course but i think some of these questions about authenticity and appropriation are uh, possibly asking the wrong question yeah you know i think we should be more concerned with how these these ideas the racialized truths get set up in the first place around music
0: yeah so, also paying heed and to that call that was in the is in the Hesmet Hodge and say article that we need to first gather a good understanding uh, that integrates uh, uh different perspectives, viewpoints, a historical perspective as well mm-hmm. that understands the context that music genres come in or arise in uh, at a micro and a macro level uh, mm-hmm. before we start making maybe assumptions about who should or should not participating in in such genres although maybe that also relates to a way of doing social science where where uh some prefer to be more distance in the in the sense that they try to just get a really good understanding of how something works how something comes into being and that others are more keen to to address Issues and to find solutions uh, mm-hmm. to to questions of uh, to uh, uh, injustices or inequalities.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I fall into the former camp.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without you know uh, disregarding any of the camps, I suppose. But it's uh, sure uh, if if I read this this uh, first article then then i really get this idea that that one thing that has been missing for a very long time is this foundation this this uh approach where we really try to understand how this happens where it comes from to lay this kind of historical trajectory Um, uh, and and only then we can start on to understand what cultural appropriation actually entails why it may indeed lead to inequalities, uh, why it may uh, cause uh, injustices and such yeah, and the social media indeed has seems to be a, a you know something that that of course wasn 't uh, present when you were doing your initial uh, research pro- project and uh, at least makes all of these things more visible so it could That's often the question, of course, like, is it happening more often because we see it more often uh, or not? That's, of course, difficult to know. But what I can ask you is that you conducted this research uh, 10, 20 years ago and Mm -hmm. and you've done multiple projects in the same direction. Uh, How do you look at this uh, now? Uh, To what extent has this changed? Maybe specifically for world music also?
1: Well, I think there are two things that would need to be taken into consideration today. Uh, I've already suggested that some people have you know, questioned whether world music is a suitable sort of label for, for music today. I guess another important thing to look at is whether social media, digital technologies has enabled or facilitated a more democratic access for musicians um, from around the world to share their music with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I guess then there would also have to be a question asked about whether in doing so that gives musicians any kind of sustainable income. I sense probably for the majority, no, no. In that case, they still would probably be dependent on whatever circuits, the World Music Circuit network of festivals and events in order to make a living You know, and also um, recording labels as well. And I guess the second issue would be, so the technology um, is one point to think about. The other, of course, is some people suggest that because of streaming, you know, genre isn't... Mm-hmm. Music genres aren't as important as they once were. That people are more inclined to select some kind of playlist to suit a mood, and I think that would need to be considered as well. If if, you, if one was doing this research today around um, world music, so yeah, yeah. So coupled with the sort of very specific question about whether world music is a relevant label anymore, I think there's a question about genre, and I know some people have been. Suggesting that, you know, questioning whether we're in a post-genre world because of streaming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although, indeed, based on, on what we've talked about before, we could also maybe assume or expect that in some cases with the receding relevance of genre labels... Uh, we do run the risk that racialized or ethnicized or gendered labels you know, become more dominant uh, because we don't specifically focus on sort of the genres as constructed by marketing managers at labels or such, but uh, but what people make of it themselves. And that, uh, based on other findings in all three articles, I think uh, runs the risk of, of uh, you know, amplifying some... Uh, uh, ways of racialized thinking, not necessarily so, but it, it, this could be an outcome.
2: Well,
1: I guess history shows us um, that race and ethnicity, as ways of categorizing music and culture, are pretty persistent. So, yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it finds. You know, it, it always seems to find a way to, you know, be reproduced in maybe in a slightly different format or slightly different way, but nevertheless, it 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 does uh, shape continue to shape how music is viewed and understood. I mean, and you gave that excellent example before around... Um,
0: Lil Nas X.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, And that was just last
2: year.
0: Yeah, and I think indeed, like based on what you're saying, I think everyone who listens to this, who thinks you know, about doing this kind of research, also consider the role of algorithms... Uh, we know now from a lot of research that algorithms uh, are very good in reproducing racialized, gendered ways of seeing uh, into these algorithms. And, and this may also go for, for music-searching algorithms, and that may reify racialized genres uh without us being actually or constructing this uh actively but mm. just noticing based on who listens to it or who listens to, uh, to certain genres together etc uh, we actually don't know much about this and how uh, to what extent this uh, this may overrule uh other non-racial genre labels or ways of categorizing
1: yeah that i mean that's really interesting um an interesting point that you made there
0: so very much an open field uh, still to uh, to explore definitely um yeah the final question that i'd like to ask about this is uh, as an experienced researcher in this field where do you think we should uh, uh, go from here what uh, you know we we already talked about streaming and algorithms um what kind of uh, um, should we continue focusing on music? Should we take a more outwards perspective, for instance? Uh Uh, should we also pay attention to things that resemble how music genres are formed uh, or you know looking at employment or education or anything that other sociologists tend to look at or or do you think it's good to just remain this persistent focus on music as it continues to play such a significant role for for people particularly uh, young people
1: Hmm, that's a big question i guess Another important aspect of doing this kind of research is also methodological. So, I mean, your research used a fairly new type of approach to thinking about classifications along gendered and racialized lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that there should be other explorations of not just, you know, Inventing or exploring new types of methodologies, but thinking about the researcher within the music um, research as well, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And thinking about how music is conceptualized at the heart of the research process as an object and the researcher's relationship to it. So that those kinds of questions really do get ignored a lot, I think, in, in music research, whether it's about gender, race, ethnicity or not. Uh, I think that that's an important direction that i would encourage people to
0: go in yeah because music researchers are, are often fans of music exactly. themselves
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and it's something and i i remember uh, lee marshall one of your co-authors for another article mm-hmm. actually once said in an article that because music researchers are so invested in music they often uh don't realize uh, that most people listen to music as a a secondary activity and not as a primary activity. Mm -hmm. And that's for a lot of people, they don't think about music all the time as consciously or or actively as as music researchers tend to presume. And I think that's also uh, that points in the direction that that doing this kind of music, or doing this kind of research mm-hmm. should not only uh, uh, cause us to think about uh, music thoroughly, as we do now, seeing all these kind of relationships with race, ethnicity, and gender, uh, but also uh, about our own position. Then,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think Lee's actually gone on and written a very um, well-regarded piece on the value of recorded music. Yeah. Uh, because of because of what you say in relation to people's you know, distracted listening or second—it's only secondary, has in secondary importance in people's lives, if at all. Yeah. Um, and of course, Casabian uh, has written about this the ubiquity, uh, ubiquitous listening as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how it's just sort of playing in the background, and no one's really sort of, you know, full, or people aren't as fully engaged with it as we might think. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think those questions are really important to take into yeah. consideration when it comes to one's research passions
0: yeah but that wouldn't that that would be my argument it wouldn't mean that we shouldn't take music as seriously anymore maybe even more so because people aren't actively considering what they're listening to where it comes from what it means to them so much as we maybe assume Mm -hmm. uh so it may feed into categorization processes in a much more implicit way than than assumed maybe
1: yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I guess, so I guess a good starting point would to be um to critically reflect on on that one's position and one's assumptions about what music is or isn't and the value that yeah. people associate it associate with it in their lives.
0: Yeah. Okay, indeed. So lots of things to explore and lots of things to discuss. So specifically for this session, we've also uh, uh, made a a list of discussion questions that you as a group can listen to as a listener or to to you can discuss together. Uh, So uh, for instance, to first start with this question that I think we also uh, touched upon, uh, you know, uh, um, trying to see where these inequalities come from uh, if you locate them in certain genres, and the first question is always why are certain genres connected to ethno-racial categories in the first place? Uh, what historical and sociological explanations can be identified to explain these ties? And, and based on my own research, I can. Uh, I, I also want to add that don't uh, that you should watch out with uh, presuming that uh, you're always looking for minorities there, because many music genres can be constructed uh, based on white uh, identities that are often seen in Western societies as kind of the de- default ethno racial group, and hence unconsidered in this kind of research. So also try to think about genres like country music that we discussed that are uh, often seen to be uh, sort of white in a latent way without people being aware of it. And then uh, next to that, you can discuss what is the difference between racialization and racism in cons- categorization processes? Can we understand a difference between racism and racialization in, in, with the idea of categoriz- categorizing genres uh, based on uh, race, ethnicity? What are the consequences of this linkage between cultural products or practices and these categories? So try to also pay heed to Hesmanthalch and Seha's call to understand this at a a micro level, what kind of experiences have you had listening to music, talking about music, going to concerts in in a pre or post COVID-19 era uh, that make you think about this linkage? And finally, how can the findings within the study of music or popular music be extrapolated to other social phenomena? So Joe in her article, for instance, uses this really good example of sports. That often in sports, people of a black racial background are seen to be more uh, stronger and physically uh, uh, um, fast than white uh, 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 s- sports players who are seen to be more strategic and uh, s- smarter, so to say. So, And we can see this in, in many different genres uh, of work, uh, of, of maybe education even, and also than in sports. So try to think uh, beyond this. Um, so, yeah, pay attention to the why and how questions and try to keep subjective questions uh, on how things should be at bay. Uh, this is not to say that you shouldn't discuss them, but often, uh, as we also discussed in this session, it helps to keep a good sociological focus uh, um, to understand what's going on, to also understand maybe how, how you would, would, would like to change a society uh, after that um so that's it for this session uh, my name was uh, julian schaap and i've been uh, talking to uh, joe haynes of university of bristol who said a lot of important uh, uh things about world music it's tying to racialization so that world music is a genre that's often implicitly tied by uh, producers to um, ethno-racial categories and that uh, uh, provides all kinds of different chances and opportunities for people participating in this kind of music and the way we think about this kind of music. Um, I'd like to ask a, a final question to you. So, so what, what do you Joe see as the main takeaway point of, of this week's uh, readings and this, uh, this talk, what can't you let go of for this week?
1: I think an important point is to note that these questions are not straightforward and although it seems that people are reproducing a very raced way of seeing the world and identifying music through racialized categories, sometimes these are very um, torturous and vexed conversations that people have with one another and with themselves. And it's something that is, it takes time for people to work out within themselves as well, because they can have a very sort of abstract intellectual idea of how things should be with regards to music. But at the same time, they're very much emotionally, personally tied to some kind of aesthetic preferences. And uh, I think that, that kind of, those tensions are always um, of sociological importance as to how they come about and what's framing them.
0: Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, so the next podcast will be about classed bodies or how weight and appearance are linked to class distinction. Uh, this talk will be uh, hosted by Dieter van den Broek and de Kuipers. Uh, and it focuses on the often overlooked aspects of class inequality, uh, specifically how inequality becomes inscribed in the physical dimensions of the body. So from music to the body in uh, in the next uh, week's uh, podcast.